Father, we thank you for how much you love us and how you've demonstrated your love for us in giving us your son, Jesus Christ. That when we were far from you, he died for us to bring us back into a right, holy, and pleasing relationship with you. So we give thanks to you, Father, for the joy and the gift of being your sons and daughters in Christ and a spiritual family in his name. And we thank you, Father, that you love to give good gifts to your children who ask. And through your Son and by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you give spiritual gifts to your church to continue Jesus' mission and ministry with the help of the Spirit to point people to Jesus, to nurture people in their relationship with Jesus, and to continue Jesus' work until he comes again. And so, Lord, as we open your word, be lifted up. Help us to see you. Speak to us. Heal us, Lord. Release your gifts among us. Fan your gifts into flame. Help us to be who you came and died and rose again to be. Help us to be your church the way that you created it and redeemed us, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Early Tuesday morning, I got up to do a little prayer in preparation for today. I had uh, an out-of-town guest in, and so I got up real early, and I was upstairs on the reading couch reading a book on spiritual gifts. And my youngest son, Barrett, wakes up, walks by, looks at the book, stops, turns to me and says, Dada, I thought the spiritual gifts were those little cards that we hand out at church. I said, what? You know, the little cards in church. Barrett thought these were the spiritual gifts. I said, no. Those aren't the actual spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are the abilities that God gives us to praise God and point people to Jesus and encourage one another in the faith. Oh, hey, do you you want some help finding out what spiritual gifts the Holy Spirit has given you? No. Okay, well, if you ever change your mind, just let me know. So we are... uh, doing a series on spiritual gifts through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And we're doing this to understand the purpose and the proper use of the spiritual gifts, to grow in our relationship with the Holy Spirit, to heal from past misuse and wounding that we've encountered as a result of the spiritual gifts, and to align with the Lord, and to align our gifts with the humility and the love of the Lord. Two weeks ago, we looked at the gifts of illumination, knowledge, wisdom, and discernment. Last week, we looked at the gifts of demonstration, faith, healing, and miracles. And today, we're gonna look at the gifts of communication, Prophecy, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Okay, so there, again, is a lot of content. This is um, a rather courageous message series. We're going to try and work through these three spiritual gifts today. But right up front, I want to say that we don't have enough time today to teach thoroughly on all three of these gifts. But what we do have time to do is to kind of do a biblical overview in a way that helps us practice these gifts based on where we are as a spiritual family. And as we practice these gifts in the love of Jesus to help people grow in Jesus decently and in order, in accordance with his scripture, we might need to circle back around and go deeper with these gifts of the future. But for now, one step at a time. We're going to begin with the gift of prophecy, the spiritual gift of prophecy. Now, The reality is, sometimes we get stuck in a difficult 
or a lonely place. This happens to every follower of Jesus at one time or another. And when that happens, sometimes we begin to feel that God is distant, like he doesn't see us or that he isn't listening to us. And then someone says something to us or they pray over us or that they send us a note. And that connects with us in a very deep and meaningful way, in a way that that person would have uh, no idea about. And in that moment, we're reminded that God is near, that God knows our heart, that God sees us and hears us, that God values us, and that God is intimately working for our good. And when this happens, we're strengthened we're encouraged or we're comforted in our relationship with the Lord. This is how the Spirit uses the spiritual gift of prophecy in the body of Christ. If you want, you can open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's on page 960 in your blue Bibles. 1 Corinthians 14, 3. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, One who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. So, not a really super creative definition of the gift of prophecy. It's just exactly what Paul tells the church in Corinth. The spiritual gift of prophecy is given by the Holy Spirit to receive and communicate a message from God that strengthens, encourages, or comforts a person or a group. And as it is with all the spiritual gifts, Paul begins by encouraging believers to eagerly desire the spiritual gift of prophecy. And as we unpack and look at what Paul's communicating and how he's encouraging and correcting the believers in Corinth, we see that there are two expressions of prophecy that the New Testament speaks of. First, through the gift of prophecy, the Holy Spirit enables a believer to communicate the promises of God in Christ in a way that strengthens and courage or comforts someone's identity in Christ. It's the Holy Spirit-enabled ability to take the Word of God and by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, share it in a way that helps people know Jesus, receive from Jesus, and grow to become like Jesus. It's forth-telling, speaking, praying, proclaiming the truth and grace of God in a manner that's consistent with the character of God, the Word of God, and who God created and redeemed us to be in Christ. So, for example, on Tuesday morning, I had a friend in from out of town, and we sat in my living room from 8 in the morning till 2 in the afternoon. And during that time, my friend received this picture. Uh, this picture about me that helped me see my identity in Christ more clearly. And how I can love and serve and lead more like Jesus. And that wasn't weird. It wasn't strange. It was in the context of relationship and conversation. And it really pointed me to Jesus and enabled me to really submit to Jesus and pray that the Lord would move and stir and shape my life in accordance with what he was doing in and through my life. Okay, so two expressions of prophecy in the New Testament. First, communicating the promises of God in Christ. And second, through the gift of prophecy, the Holy Spirit enables a believer to communicate the impending or future works of God in Christ. So, for example, several years ago, um, I was with another pastor here in town. One of the things that God uh, does with me is um, helps me come along different pastors in the city and just listen and encourage and coach them. And uh, one pastor heard about this and called me up 
and said, hey, um, I'd love to meet with you. There's some things that are going on in my life and my ministry, and I'd love just to kind of get your input and feedback. And I said, great. So we went to Easy's, we had lunch, um, and in this two and a half hour conversation, uh, we talked about what was going on in his life, what was going on in his ministry, and how he was really handling these things beautifully. But unfortunately, in the mix of this, there were some other people that made some decisions that caused the church to really shrink. And so they were thinking about um, leaving where they were and replanting in another side of town. And we prayed, it was wonderful, and we were about to leave. And, uh, and Pastor Dave says, you know, there's another thing that I want to talk to you about today. I said, oh, okay, what's that? And he said, well, the elders and I uh, have been doing a little research on you. Oh, oh that makes me a little nervous, okay. <laughs> and uh, it, we've, been, we've been doing some, some research on you and, and on grace and what y'all are all about. And we've been praying, and God has told us to sell you our building. Okay, and uh, we talked a little bit more about that, and we met two more times that fall, really for relationship and coaching, but after each time, he would always ask this question, hey, Matt, did you bring me a check? (laughs) Uh, Well, I I shared that with the leadership team. There was a lot of prayer and conversation, some prayer walking, and five months later, we bought this building. By God's grace, he helped us see and know the work that he was about to do for us. And I'm really grateful for that because it prepared our hearts and our conversations and us as a congregation to walk into the promises that he had planned for us. So the spiritual gift of prophecy can be foretelling something God will do to strengthen, encourage, or comfort a person or a group. It's not yet realized, but anticipated in God's time for his purposes, and fame. A couple years back, I was at the Anglican Mission Winter Conference. It was a prayer and healing gathering, much like we do the first Sunday of the month here. And uh, it was the first prayer and healing gathering in 16 years where I wasn't participating as uh, someone on a prayer team, but I was just sitting on the front row and receiving. And about halfway through that worship gathering, someone came up to me and tapped me um, on the shoulder. And I didn't look around and I didn't recognize their voice, although it was Canadian. Um, And this person very quietly and very gently said, Matt, I think God's given me something to share with you. And I said, okay. And he said, would you be okay if I shared that with you? And I said, I'd be happy to hear that. He said, it may not be from the Lord, but just listen and pray about it and see what God tells you. And he said, um, it, I got a picture and it seems like all the timbers are falling down around you and that everything's falling apart. But God wants you to know that he's doing it. It's good. So don't be afraid. It's going to be better than you can think. And I went, okay. You know, honestly, I was like, okay, you know, we'll see. Okay. And I prayed about it, and that was kind of uh, the end of that, until um, a couple of weeks later, it seemed like that everything started falling down around me. And, uh, and I was so thankful, because I immediately thought of that word and that prayer time, and began to not have fear, but ask the Lord to cast out that fear with his love. And a couple of months later, there was a a wonderful young person who was fairly new to uh, our spiritual family and came to a belonging lunch. And after the belonging lunch, came up to me and said, hey, it it seems like y'all are pretty open to the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit here. Is that right? I'm like, well, yes, it is. And uh, this person said, well, how do you feel about the gift of prophecy? I thought, that's an interesting question. And I responded, well, um, I'm thankful for the gift of prophecy. Uh, We need the gift of prophecy. And this person said, well, would you be okay if I shared something that I think God's put on my heart for you? And I said, yes, I would. And they said, well, it may not be from the Lord, but if I share it with you, just pray about it and test it and see what God tells you. And I'm thinking, who is this wonderfully well-discipled newcomer that the Lord has brought into our midst? 
And I said, well, um, would it be okay if I pull this other person over to hear this with me? You know, because like, I didn't know this person and I wanted a little bit of, of, of accountability, some backup, right, in case it got weird. And uh, so this person shared, <laughs> this person shared, um, the Lord is raising up new leaders for a new season of influence, not only with grace, but throughout this city and beyond. I'm like, okay. Um, would you two mind praying that over me and praying that over grace? And they said, sure. And they, they prayed. Um, and then several months later, uh, Dave Larley came. Remember Dave? Dave came and did a Friday night, all-day Saturday workshop on um, the gift of prophecy and a real practical way of how to use that in the church today. It's on the website if you weren't here or hadn't heard it. But Dave was taking a break on Saturday afternoon, and he was walking around downtown, and he saw uh, something in a window, and God kind of took that belt buckle and kind of seared it on his heart and, and told Dave that that was a picture for me. And so Dave bought that John Deere belt buckle and he gave it to me and he said, Matt, I'm pretty sure this is from the Lord. I'm not sure. You need to test and weigh this. But I think God's saying that a season is coming when your leadership and the leadership of grace is going to run smooth and strong like a John Deere tractor. <laughs> and I said, hallelujah. And I'm wearing that belt buckle with faith, <laughs> trusting that that miracle is going to come true. <laughs> um... So how does this gift work? I really want to draw upon what Dave Larley shared with us last January. Do you remember the helpful phrase uh, that he used to define how the gift of prophecy works in the local church? Three words. You remember? Chat, catch, and pass. Chat, catch, pass. Super helpful. Starts with chat. Chat describes how the prophetic gift operates through our regular, everyday communication with God. So as we talk with God through prayer, we receive a message from God that's given to us by the Holy Spirit in order to strengthen, encourage, or comfort another person or a group of people. You could be alone, you could be with somebody else, you could be reading the Bible, driving in the car, or praying, or sharing a meal, you could be right in the middle of your life group. And the Holy Spirit brings a story, or a verse from the Bible, a word, or a phrase, or a picture to mind, and it's downloaded from the heart of God directly to yours. And so you catch it. Now, the thing about catching is that when it comes to uh, the gift of prophecy, sometimes we want to hold on to what we catch, and sometimes we just want to drop it. How do you know if it's from God and worth hanging on to? Well, you can be saying this in your sleep before too long. It's consistent with the character of God the word of God and who God created and redeemed you to be. If it passes that test, then we have to discern who it's for. If that prophetic word is for you, then like Mary, you can treasure it in your heart and it'll be a loving way God strengthens and encourages and comforts you. If you sense it's for someone else, then you have to discern how to share it humbly in love and at the right time. So then we move on to pass. Chat, catch, pass. When we share a prophetic word, it's important to share it in a manner consistent with the way that Jesus would share it. Okay, think about this. This is really important. Think about how Jesus shared prophetically with Nicodemus. At a time and at a place where Nicodemus felt safe full of grace, full of truth, but in a context where Nicodemus was comfortable and able to hear and receive. Think about the way that Jesus speaks prophetically to the Samaritan woman, very gently, with a lot of truth and a lot of grace, but in relationship, 
in conversation with lots of questions and at a time and a place where she wouldn't feel ashamed or ganged up on. Like very sensitive. So chat, catch, pass. Such a helpful way to engage the spiritual gift of prophecy. So um, how do we steward the prophetic gifting? How do we steward prophetic words as followers of Jesus with grace? There's really two ways that we do that. Two. The first is in one-on-one relationship or in the context of um, our prayer ministry, okay? We never claim to speak for God. Okay, one of the things you'll never hear around here is someone coming up to you and going, Thou saith the Lord! Okay? We not only wouldn't say it, we definitely wouldn't say it like that. Okay, that's just weird. Um, we say things like, you know, I, I have something that I think the Lord's put on my heart and I'm supposed to share with you. I'm not really sure it's from the Lord, but would you be willing to listen to that? I don't know. It might have been my breakfast taco, but if I give this to you, maybe you could just pray about it and see what the Lord does with it for you. Would that be okay? So that's how we operate um, in one-to-one or on our prayer teams. The second way um, is in corporate worship. And when the gift of prophecy is exercised in corporate worship, you can see this in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Timothy 2, 1 Peter 5, Hebrews 13. Paul and the apostles indicate the responsibility to interpret the prophetic word for the gathered community belongs to the leadership of the church. Okay, so sometimes, this happened last week, sometimes the Holy Spirit will give someone a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or a prophetic word for the benefit of the the whole family, the whole congregation. And it's because God wants to communicate his love. He wants to build us up. He wants to encourage us as a spiritual family. And so what do we do when this happens? Well, when this happens, we ask the person receiving the word to write down on a piece of paper what they hear God saying. And then to hand that piece of paper to me or to Bishop Sandy or to Britt or to a member of the leadership team so that we can pray and discern and discuss how and when it might be best to share with the family. And sometimes it's to prepare the the prayer team. Sometimes it works its way out in the context of the sermon. Sometimes uh, we share that during the invitation to the Lord around his table. And sometimes it's expressed right in the middle of the Eucharistic prayer. Those are the two ways that we handle and steward decently and in order, but in a very helpful way, that spiritual gift of prophecy. Do you have this gift? How do you know if you have this gift? Do you love the word of God? And oftentimes when you're reading it and praying through it, God puts someone on your heart that needs to hear it. When you're praying for someone, either by yourself or with them, God uh, brings a story or a verse from the Bible or a picture or a metaphor to mind that's meant to bless and build up and encourage someone else. When you test, when you weigh that, that prophetic word, is it consistent with the character of God, the word of God, and who God created and redeemed us to be? And when you share it, humbly in love in the way that Jesus would, does it come to pass? Does it strengthen, encourage, or comfort somebody else? A significant test. Does it bear fruit? Now, as with all the spiritual gifts, with the spiritual gift of prophecy, there's some cautions, some correction, and some encouragement. Um, Caution one. People do not always chat, catch, and pass accurately. What we hear and how we discern and communicate it and how it's understood and applied can get jumbled up like the game of telephone, right? At the beginning, that always doesn't turn out the way that it's supposed to. But the more you do it, the more you practice, the better you get and the clearer the communication comes. The gift of prophecy is the same way, okay? The gift of prophecy does not guarantee the accuracy 
of its perception, communication, or application. Okay? But here's, this is really important. The margin of error does not reside in God. The margin of error resides in both the one who hears, understands, and shares the prophetic word, and the one who receives, discerns, and applies the prophetic word. Does that make sense? We're, we're broken, leaky vessels. We're not perfect. And sometimes we jumble it up. Now, here's the encouragement. In fairness, this is true with all of the spiritual gifts, isn't it? I mean, I know amazing teachers who don't believe in the literal resurrection. Super capable administrators who've messed up an Excel spreadsheet and forgot to pay a bill on time. And really, really godly people with a spiritual gift of mercy who get in a hurry and ignore someone in need. It just happens. We're not perfect. We're being made to be perfected in the image of Christ. Okay, caution two. Sometimes people inappropriately use the gift of prophecy to establish or defend doctrines, ethics, or practices that lack biblical support or contradict the scripture. Several years ago, I was with a group of leaders, not Anglican Mission or Acts 29 leaders, um, and uh, in this conversation, there was a bishop who was making a decision to go in a direction that was inconsistent with scripture, inconsistent with 2,000 years of apostolic tradition, and inconsistent with reason. And I got a little worked up, but as humbly and gently and with as much love um, as I could, I just, I just asked him, I said, hey, like, this doesn't seem like you, this doesn't seem completely right. Why are you going forward with this? This is what he said. I prayed to God, and he told me it was okay. Wow. Okay. Here's the deal. The gift of prophecy is not equivalent with the scripture. It does not equal or add to the sufficiency of scripture as the authoritative voice of God for Christian living. This is what Paul advocates um, in 1 Thessalonians 5. It's like a very balanced approach. He says, don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't scoff at prophecies, but test everything that's said. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. Right? All the spiritual gifts need to be discerned and tested. How? Here it goes. It's going off in your head. Yes, it is. The Bible contains all things necessary for life and salvation. It's the ultimate treasury and final authority for all matters of faith and practice. So here's the deal. Anytime you're the recipient of a prophetic word, open your Bible, carefully assess what's been said, and don't hold God at arm's length because he may very well have something encouraging, edifying, and comforting to share with you, but also don't be gullible and believe everything you're told is from him. Caution three, last caution for the gift of prophecies. Some prophetic words are not from the Lord, but arise from people's personal desires, hopeful thinking, need to be liked, or quite frankly, just a chip on their shoulder. Um, I've been hurt by that. Many of us have been hurt by that. And here's the corrective. The faith and character of the one sharing the prophetic word is relevant. Jesus teaches us to be careful because there are those who share prophecy falsely. Okay? Sorry, last caution. Therefore, the Holy Spirit will never manifest a prophetic word that humiliates, embarrasses, shames, or condemns. How do we know? Because there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He's taken away all of our guilt and shame. Um, early on in uh, my ministry in Houston, I was teaching at a women's retreat. And at the end of this retreat, there was a young woman fairly new to the faith 
um, who uh, wanted to pray for someone in the room. And so this person really wanted to receive those prayers. So uh, this woman sat down and uh, we gathered around and this young woman began to pray over this person. Um, saying things that the Lord was giving her to see and um, talking about all the things that God wasn't doing and talking about all the things that the devil was doing and talking about things that weren't consistent with the character of God, the word of God, or who God created and redeemed this person to be. And it just got awkward. It felt really heavy and dark. And by God's grace, there was another woman there who was more spiritually mature than I was and gently put her hand on this young woman's shoulder and said, wait, please stop. I love your heart, but this is not a helpful way to pray. Let me pray. And began to speak words of blessing and life and light and what Jesus was doing and who she is in Christ and the forgiveness and the protection that she had in Christ. And it was a beautiful moment, not only for the person being prayed for, for the young woman who had gentle, loving correction and modeling, but for all of us who now get to hear about that story. (laughs) Very, very significant moment Um, in my life as it relates to the gift of prophecy and prayer and the movement of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. Valid prophecy will always exalt the person and ministry of Jesus and respect the dignity of the individual. So the Holy Spirit is committed to equip the body with the spiritual gift of prophecy so that we will strengthen, encourage, and comfort one another in Christ. Such a good, helpful gift. Okay, next gift. The gift of tongues. The spiritual gift of tongues is expressed three ways in the scripture. The first expression of the spiritual gift of tongues is missional. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit enabled the disciples to speak in a heavenly language, which is then supernaturally translated by the Holy Spirit so that many different people from many different countries understand the message of the gospel as if it's being preached in their own native tongue. Amazing. Amazing. Now, Acts 2.6 is the only time we see the expression of the gift of tongues uh, in Scripture. The only time we see this expression, this missional expression in Scripture. Second, the second biblical expression of the spiritual gift of tongues is corporate edification, okay? The Holy Spirit enabled disciples to speak in a heavenly language and the context of worship, which was translated by someone with the spiritual gift of interpretation so that everyone present was edified in the relationship with the Lord. So when a tongue was spoken, it was translated and functionally became similar to the gift of prophecy. And this is what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 14, 27, where he corrects the believers in Corinth saying, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. I'm told that happens uh, in the body of Christ today. I've never experienced that. The third biblical expression of the spiritual gift of tongues is personal edification, okay? The Holy Spirit gives the spiritual gift of tongues to enable a believer to pray and praise God in a heavenly language that fosters intimacy with God and leads to edification and peace. Um, This is the most common use of the gift of tongues. And exercising the gift of tongues in this manner needs no interpretation because it's for personal edification. Um, We operate in this third expression of the gift of tongues here at Grace. And so that's what I want to focus on for the remaining of our time this morning. 
Okay? The Holy Spirit gives the spiritual gift of tongues to enable a believer to pray and praise God in a heavenly language that fosters intimacy with God and leads to edification and peace. Okay, how does this gift work? Um, if you want to look at 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 15, I'm kind of do a little sprint uh, through this because this is really significant to understanding um, and practicing the spiritual gift of tongues in the local church. In verse 2, Paul says, anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. What's he saying there? The gift of tongues is a vertical gift, not a horizontal gift. It's always addressed to God, not to people. We see this in Acts 2.11, 10.46, and 19.17. When people express the spiritual gift of tongues, they declare the mighty deeds of God. Then Paul says, anyone who speaks in a tongue utters mysteries in the spirit. Speaking in tongues or praying in the spirit isn't like divine ventriloquism. It's an act of collaboration between God's spirit and our spirit. Paul uh, double, doubles down and explains this further in verses 14 and 15. He says, when anyone prays or sings in a tongue, it's not an exercise of our mind, but an exercise of our spirit. Our intellect is not engaged. It's not a cognitive or a rational act, but a spiritual one that glorifies God and edifies the user. It's like a spiritual love language that enables one to communicate with God and experience a connection and an intimacy with God when human words are inadequate or exhausted. And this is what Paul is saying in verse 4 when he says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Praying with the gift of tongues is a way the Spirit builds up the believer. Um, it's what Jude encourages in verses 20 and 21, saying, but you, beloved, by building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit... Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So whether spoken or sung, it's a language for prayer and adoration, for praise and intercession. And if Paul is referring to the gift of tongues in Ephesians 6.18, then the gift of tongues is also a really helpful weapon in our arsenal for spiritual warfare. And, and you might look at Romans 8.26 and 27. Paul says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts know what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, if Paul has the gift of tongues in mind here, then speaking in tongues is a way of compensating for our weakness or our lack of understanding when praying for ourselves or praying for somebody else. So, for example, someone with the gift of tongues can use their prayer language even though their mind is wondering or when they're struggling to focus or to concentrate, or when they're physically tired and weary and didn't finish their sermon until 2.30 that morning, or when they think that they've run out of things to pray for, or when uh, things to pray for don't readily come to their heart or to their mind. There are all reasons why people would pray in the Spirit. And when they do, they're confident that the Holy Spirit articulates those prayers and those praises to the Father, and so the gift, of, the gift of tongues is that it eliminates our excuse for not praying based on not knowing what to pray for or how to pray. Do you have this gift? The Holy Spirit bestows the spiritual gift of tongues in a variety of ways. Some received uh, the gift at their conversion. Some received the gift later on. Some receive this gift in a time of personal prayer. 
And you need to start praying, and the Spirit gives you the gift, and you begin to pray in that prayer language. Sometimes the gift comes through song. This is how I received the spiritual gift of tongues. Um, I was in England. I was really asking God, who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit want to do in my life? I was around some really amazing people who love Jesus and love his word and knew the Holy Spirit, and honestly, I didn't. And as um, I prayed and searched the scripture, the Lord was showing who he is to be. And I started uh, hearing people operate in this spiritual gift, and I started asking questions and studying it. And I thought, you know, Lord, if this would be helpful to me, I'm open to receiving it. And so I asked, and nothing happened, and I prayed, and nothing happened. And after a couple of weeks, I went to my friend John. John was um, a seminary classmate. He was in a former rock band called Fat and Frantic. He'd become a worship leader and had a call uh, to preach the gospel. And so he invited me over to his flat. His wife had gone to run some errands. And as a worship leader, he had a bunch of worship music, stuff that we'd been singing since we'd been there. And he laid out some songs on the floor. And we sat down and he picked up his guitar and we just started worshiping the Lord. And then he starts singing in tongues. And I'm thinking, that's a little weird. But that's not really that weird. And okay, not necessarily against the character of God. I see it in the scripture. Uh, see, seems like it's consistent with who God created and redeemed him to be. And I started singing in tongues. And um, it, was, it was a beautiful moment. And I'm so thankful for that gift. Um, a couple of years later, I was in a significant transition uh, in my life, and I showed up at the first Anglican Mission Winter Conference. And uh, this is in 2001. And at every Anglican Mission Winter Conference, we always begin on Wednesday night with this amazing prayer and praise worship gathering. And uh, it, was, it was like all the people that, uh, that I wanted to uh, follow Jesus with and do the great commandment and the great commission with. And the, the music was amazing and Archbishop Kalini shared his testimony. I was just weeping because of his love and his passion, his heart for the gospel and the kingdom of God. And I went to communion and then I went back to a prayer team and um, I received a prophetic word um, that I hold on to to this day that has been so helpful and encouraging to me. And then I come back after communion and we're in the final song and everybody's standing up. And then everybody, it seems, starts singing in tongues. And it wasn't weird. It was the most beautiful thing that I had ever experienced to date. It was as if we had joined all the angels and archangels and the company of heaven around the throne of Jesus just worshiping and adoring and singing his praises. And you can just sense the love and the peace and the joy and the presence of God in our midst. Now, as with every spiritual gift, with the spiritual gift of tongues, there are cautions, corrections, and encouragement. A couple of them. Caution one. There are some who falsely teach that if you are truly saved, then you have to have the spiritual gift of tongues, whether you use it or not. Um, have any of you ever heard this? I, I've had people that have shared that with me. Um, this seems to not be as prevalent as it used to be, but it's still around there, okay? There are uh, parts of the body of Christ that use this gift as a kind of litmus test uh, for who's a genuine believer, okay? If you don't speak in tongues, then you must not be saved. Now, here's the corrective. In the book of Acts, some people who receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord immediately speak in tongues, but not all of them. There are, if you really want to nerd out on this, there are eight instances of conversion in the book of Acts where there is no mention of the believer speaking in tongues. So the spiritual gift of tongues isn't always a sign of salvation. Uh, furthermore, in 1 Corinthians 14.5, Paul says, I wish you could all speak in tongues. And from this, we know that not everyone in Corinth spoke in tongues. 
indicating that some followers of Jesus did not receive this gift. If they'd all spoken in tongues, Paul would have, would have had to say, I wish that all of you did speak in tongues. So clearly, not everyone did. So here's the encouragement. Like all the other spiritual gifts, some have it, some don't, some will ask for it, some won't. Now remember, Paul makes this explicitly clear in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 30. Not all the gifts are given to every person. All the gifts are given to every church so that everyone benefits from them. So if you want the gift, ask for it. If you get it, praise God. If you don't get it, don't sweat it. Praise God. Caution two. Sometimes people can use the spiritual gift of tongues, or any spiritual gift for that matter, to make themselves feel important or better than other believers or to try and fit in, which completely misses the whole meaning and purpose of why the Spirit gives gifts in the first place. Okay? Here's the corrective. Remember, we have a loving, impartial Father who has no favorites. And so the spiritual gift of tongues is just like every other spiritual gift. It's not a special gift for special Christians to make them feel more special about themselves. In fact, Paul explains the spiritual gift of tongues to be one of the lesser gifts as he gently corrects the Corinthians saying, eagerly desire the greater gifts. So that being said, I think it's just helpful to remember that any gift that is used selfishly or for our own gain or advancement or attention is going to cause problems. Okay? Any gift. A person with the gift of leadership can make disciples of themselves rather than disciples of Christ. A person with the gift of giving can withhold their tithe to make some kind of political point. A person with the gift of evangelism can share all truth and no grace and actually drive people away from Jesus rather than love them to him. The key is this. The key is to use the gifts the Holy Spirit has given us humbly in love for the exaltation of Christ and the benefit of others. Last one, caution three. Some people perceive that those with the spiritual gift of tongues are like out of control, like they lose their faculties, like they've fallen under the influence of some crazy irresistible power. Like, I get it. I used to be there. Like, that's what I used to think. Um, but here, I think, is the correction. R remember, the gift of tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit, and there is no safer place to be than under the control of the Holy Spirit. He's a very presence nature of God. And the Holy Spirit will never force or compel someone to use the gift of tongues or any other gift. And so neither should we. Neither should we. This is true of every spiritual gift. Here's the encouragement. The Holy Spirit imparts the gift, manifests the gifts, but never makes anyone use the gifts. They're gifts, not mandates or commands. They're given in love to be used in love, and love doesn't push, it doesn't coerce, it doesn't insist on its own way. This is what Paul clarifies in 1 Corinthians 13. So the Holy Spirit graciously puts the gifts in our hands. He joyfully empowers them. He fans them into flame, but he allows the gifts to be used under our wisdom and discretion. So the Holy Spirit is committed to equip the body with a spiritual gift of tongues so that we will pray and praise God in a spiritual language, a heavenly language, that fosters intimacy with God and leads to edification and peace. Whew. Those are nine gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. I've never been in a church or anybody has preached on the nine gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, now I am. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to pray and to read and to study and to hear from so many of you 
and to receive so much prayer as we've walked through this. Because there's a lot of misunderstanding, there's a lot of hurt that we carry as a result of these gifts. And so in summary, um, I just want to remind us that Paul doesn't teach the disuse of the gifts. Paul doesn't ignore the misuse of the spiritual gifts or condemn those who do. Paul gently guides and corrects, clarifies and sets healthy boundaries to ensure that the gifts are used and received in a manner that's consistent with the character of God, the word of God, and who God created and redeemed us to be in Christ. So no matter how murky the bathwater is, there's still a real live baby in there. Be careful what you throw out. Yeah, we, we all make mistakes. All make mistakes. We've all thought and said and done things that we thought were from God, but in fact, we're not from God. That does not make us bad people. That just means we were wrong. Good honest, well-intended followers of Jesus miss the mark. And we miss the mark sometimes as it relates to the spiritual gifts. But that does not mean that they're not good or helpful or that we should just throw them out. So that's why here at Grace, we're committed to a teaching environment full of grace and forgiveness and encouragement so that together we can continue to learn and grow and mature in Christ, that we could be the church that Jesus died and rose and sent the Holy Spirit to us that we could be. And so by acknowledging the spiritual gifts, we're acknowledging God's design for the church. By welcoming the spiritual gifts, we're welcoming the Lord himself. And by using these spiritual gifts, we're equipping God's people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and fullness of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. And we thank you that you have demonstrated your love in that when we were still sinners, broken and far from you, you gave your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to put us back together, to redeem us and bring us back into a right, holy and pleasing relationship with you. And Lord, as we come to him, through the bread and the wine and around his table. We ask that you would heal us in those ways that we have been hurt, in the ways that we are wounded, in the ways that we're still carrying bitterness or resentment. Forgive us and heal us, Lord. Lord, as we come to you around your table, send your spirit to give us new gifts fan into flame the gifts he has already bestowed upon us. And Lord, by your spirit, give us your heart and your mind that with the gifts you've entrusted to us, we might lift you up and point people to you with humility and love for their benefit and our joy and your glory. We pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.